your hymn of the month is quickly becoming a much-loved song in Christ Church today. It reminds us of the gift of music, both old and new, whereby we can give expression to our love and devotion and acknowledge the Lord's grace in Jesus Christ. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Ruth. When I was last with you, and you've long ago forgotten that, uh, we were in the book of Ruth, chapter 1. And so today, and I'm not shamelessly uh, candidating for an invitation to come back, but I am already invited, so I'll be able to continue in Ruth in a few weeks, Lord willing. But we're going to read this morning from Ruth chapter 2. We looked at chapter 1 last time. It's on page 413 in the Pew Bibles. 413. Let us listen now to this word the Lord speaks to us. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they called back. Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? The foreman replied, she is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I have told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Rather, pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. 
She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw, saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen, redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Just notice again some key verses. Verse 2, And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go over to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And then verse 12, Boaz says, May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then these words of Naomi in verse 20, The Lord bless him, that is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. May the Lord bless this reading and our hearing this morning of his word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I don't want to go over all of the details of what is introduced and unfolds in the opening chapter of the book of Ruth, but we do at least need to be reminded that chapter 1 ends with what might be called two questions. And the first question is, has Ruth, the widowed Moabitess, daughter-in-law of Naomi, wife now widowed of Elimelech of the Ephrathites, from Judah, who came from the little town of Bethlehem, that means the house of bread, and when there was famine in the land, went off to a far country, a very great distance removed from the Lord and his people, the land of all places of Moab. Was Ruth making a wise and ultimately vindicated choice when upon the widowed Naomi and her two Moabitess daughter-in-law's return when they heard that the Lord had visited his people in grace and that Bethlehem was now a house of bread, had she made the right choice? When she said, when Naomi tried to convince her to go back to her own people and to even her own gods, and though Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah, said, I'll go back, Ruth said, I will not go. Your people, God's people, the church, they'll be my people. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And your God, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of the covenant, 
who keeps covenant and in his steadfast love shows his people kindness from generation to generation. Your Lord will be my Lord, your God my God. And I will die, I will be buried among your people. Will Naomi's prayer that the Lord would show her daughter-in-law Ruth favor, kindness, and grace be answered? You could say somewhat crassly, will Ruth discover among God's people and in the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings, the shadow of whose wings she takes refuge, that he is a God who brings to his people blessing? Now, that's one question. There's another question, and it's the way the first chapter ends. When they come back to Bethlehem, two widows an old haggard. They can hardly, scarcely recognize her. Can this be, they said, Naomi, the young woman who went bright with hope to Moab many years previously? Life has not dealt her a kind hand. Can this be Naomi? And you remember how Naomi responds, no, I'm not Naomi. My given name, Naomi, means the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, but not so. I return to my people and my God and to Bethlehem as the widowed, old, too old to marry, too old to have a son, too old to be preserved in my family, in my place, and in my inheritance portion among God's people. Call me, she says. Mara, which as you know means bitter, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. And then these critical words, I went away full to Moab with husband and two sons, but the Lord has brought me back empty. What's she saying? There's no future for me. There's no future for us. We've come to a cul-de-sac. God has emptied our hands, and that's the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. It's only an introduction to the story. Here in chapter 2, we begin to see how wrong Naomi was. She has a future, and her future is caught up with this dear daughter-in-law whom the Lord has given her. She was wrong to say, I've come back empty. She has a sister in the church at her side. And through the Lord and his dealings with Ruth, he will bring redemption as he always does. And you know, of course, I have to throw this in before we go into chapter 2 more directly. This story that unfolds in Ruth, we find out in the very first page of the New Testament is a story of God's relentless work to bring to us an elder brother, a kinsman redeemer, who will do for us what is needed, that our hands and hearts would never remain empty, but would be full, a cup of whose blessings would perpetually overflow. And we see the beginning of this wonderful work of the Lord's grace and his kindness toward the house of Elimelech, toward 
his widow Naomi toward his newfound daughter in the faith, a Moabitess widow by the name of Ruth. And it's our story too, brothers and sisters, because the same God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who gave to Naomi a son born in Bethlehem, whose name was not Obed, servant, where the book ends, but ultimately the servant of servants. In Matthew chapter 1, we find the name of Ruth inscribed for your and my perpetual remembrance in the church as someone whom God blessed and showed a wonderful kindness. Now, we see that in three ways in this passage. First of all, we see how Ruth experiences the Lord's kindness in the barley harvest. More on that in a minute. We also see how Ruth benefits from the Lord's kindness by introducing her to a member of his church by the name of Boaz. And then thirdly, we're given at least a sketch of how the story will unfold. Boaz is a near relative of the same family as Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband, a kinsman redeemer. Those three things. First of all, through the compassion and kindness shown Ruth in the barley harvest. We read at the beginning of chapter 2, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. Already you have a clue there, and it gets you right to the very last verse of this chapter where Ruth is told by Naomi, this Boaz you met, He's one of our near relatives. He's a kinsman redeemer. You stay close to him and glean in his fields, and it'll turn out by God's grace well. Well, Naomi has a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Now, you have to know something. You probably know this already, congregation. The Lord, in His provision and in His statutes, had, and He's the God of the fatherless, the orphan. He's a God who is near to the widow and the widower. God had ordered that when the children of Israel went into the field of harvest, they would leave on the perimeter of the field sheaves of grain so that those widows, those who were strangers, who had no portion among God's people, they could glean, you might say, gather the remainder, the leftover. And so this is already an indication that the people among whom Ruth has identified herself and their God is a people that is called to show and exhibit the same hospitality, the same kindness, the same grace that the Lord has shown them in His covenant. And so she goes into the field, and it so happens. Naomi says to her, you go ahead, my daughter. So she goes out and went to glean in the fields behind the harvest, and then you get very interesting language. You always want to read the text very carefully, brothers and sisters. Don't miss anything. Notice how it's put here in the English. As it turned out, it just so happened. Really? 
Actually, the literal way in which the author expresses it is this. The happenstance happened. Now, one commentator on the book of Ruth says it's a little bit like in modern uh, film, you can have a screen within a screen. You have the big screen where the action in the foreground is going on, and then you have another screen. Well, what's going on is that the author is already hinting this was not a coincidence. God is at work directing his dear daughter, daughter-in-law, Ruth, to go to not just any field, but the field of Boaz. He is weaving in his grace and in his providential kindness the circumstances down to the finest detail of Ruth's life so as to turn it by his grace to her good. And so it happens. It just turned out that she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. But let me at this time, for the sake of time, just quickly summarize how it goes for her on her first day. You're given some indication in the passage that it might have gone very badly for Ruth. That's why Boaz later in the chapter orders his foreman and his men to protect Ruth. She's an attractive, there are hints of that, young Moabitish widow who has no standing among God's people. She could have been taken advantage of. She could have been insulted in the field. You know, of course, that Moabites were not exactly popular in Israel. Their story begins through an incestuous relationship between the eldest daughter of Lot, you can read about that in Genesis 19, and her father-in-law, or her father rather. The son born to that incestuous relationship was given the name Moab. And if you read the rest of the story, you know it never went well between Israel and Moab. King Balak, when they were approaching the land, hired Balaam to prophesy against the people. They refused to show them hospitality. In the book of Deuteronomy, we're told that because of this, maltreatment and long-standing opposition with Moab and the Moabites, no child born to an Israelite marrying a Moabite could enter the solemn assemblies for ten generations. That's probably why in the first chapter Ruth or Naomi thinks to herself, there's no future for us. The best I got here is a Moabite daughter-in-law. She's no trophy. Her prospects are dismal at least. She's at the end of the line. You try that, bring to mom and dad. Here's my uh, betrothed Moabite. You don't get more a stranger, more alienated, more on the outside and not on the inside than Ruth. But how is she treated in the fields of Boaz? Very kindly, 
Boaz makes sure, he even says later in the chapter, you go out of your way to literally pull apart some of the harvest and throw it upon the ground that her bounty, her gleaning will go well. And she can come back at the end of the day and you get the idea that Naomi, when she sees Ruth coming at the end of the day, is waiting at the door with bated breath. How did it go? And there she comes. It's an amazing picture. An ephah of barley. You know how much that is? It's estimated to be something around the uh, weight of 30 pounds. Had her little doggy bag because she had been invited to lunch with Boaz. Sat at his table and he gave her food and drink. And she wrapped up the remainder of the feast, sumptuous feast, in her little doggy bag. But next to the doggy bag, she's got this big heavy, extraordinary, overflowingly abundant. It's a miracle. And so you're beginning to get a bit of a sense that the Lord of the covenant with whom Ruth identified himself and concerning whom her mother-in-law, setting a rather bad example, had lamented with bitterness that his hand had gone out against them, and they had nothing. Never does the Lord of the covenant leave his people at the end of the day empty-handed. He fills their hands and their mouths literally with good things. And so he did through the barley harvest. But there's a second thing here, and it's Boaz. Of the family of Elimelech, clearly a man of, as we're told, standing. He's a leading figure in the community, like an elder or somebody of that sort. But not only that, he's wealthy. He's prosperous. But not only that, He's a son of God, a child of the covenant, who knows enough about the God who loved him and showed him steadfast love and unfailing mercy. And one of the themes that comes through again and again in this chapter and throughout the book of of, uh, Ruth is the loving kindness as the old King James renders the language of the Lord. Isn't that a lovely expression? Loving kindness, or better perhaps rendered, steadfast love, unrelenting, not capable of being defeated. He's relentless in the love with which he loves his bride. You can take it, count on it. And Boaz knows that. All kind of details in the story, just by way of illustration. How does Boaz greet his workers and his foremen. The Lord bless you. Now, he's not trying to be pious, but he's a true son of the covenant. He conducts himself in his day-to-day business. My whole life, thought, behavior, as that song rendering of Psalm 19 had it earlier in the service, is one ceaseless song of praise. It comes naturally upon his lips. The Lord be with you. And then he gives his report, and then he tells this man, you make sure. He doesn't even use the foreman Ruth's name because he calls her a Moabitess. It's probably a little bit 
uncertain as to how Boaz is going to respond to a Moabitess messing around in his harvest field. And look what he does. He calls her into his house for lunch. He spreads a table before her. He opens the door of welcome to her. He says of her when she asks, how is it? Why have I found such favor, such grace, such kindness, such love in your eyes that you notice me a stranger? A stranger and you took me in. Boaz says, I've been told about all what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you richly be rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And you know, congregation, that's a wonderful portrait of how those who are children of God, members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, recipients of an extraordinary grace and loving kindness. We too once were strangers, and the Lord took us in. We were once, as Paul says, I think you're mostly Gentiles here this morning, without God in the world, alienated and separated from the people of God and the inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. And the Lord, he threw the door open to you. He, in a manner of speaking, rolled out the red carpet for you. He, at great price, purchased you by the shed blood, demonstrating his loving kindness of his dearly beloved Son, he invited you to a table and furnished it with the richest of foods. Shouldn't you then, like Boaz, as a member of such a company, show like kindness, grace, favor toward those whom he brings to himself? When you live, you know how it is with children. They're natural mimics. You know, I've even told, and I think it's true even in my own case, the older you get, the more you start <laughs> talking, acting, and looking even like your father and mother. Sometimes you have a wife who takes advantage of that and says, if it's not such a good trait, <laughs> you're starting to act a little bit like uh, your father there. Well, in a more serious vein, brothers and sisters, when you live close to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're the beneficiary of His amazing grace, when you can sing from the heart as we sang earlier in the worship service in Christ alone, and everything that is ours in Christ. I think that song, by the way, is a lovely, in some ways, hymnic rendition of Lord's Day 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism. What's your only comfort in life and in death? Let me tell you, my only comfort is body and soul, whether in life or in death, I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, if you know that, 
then you want others to come and gather with you and enjoy as recipients that grace and favor. And what Ruth is finding out is that it was by God's grace that she was brought to commit herself to the Lord and His people, and it will be by God's grace that she, together with her mother-in-law, will not go away empty from the house of bread, Bethlehem. Now let me bring it to a close and just touch upon something that becomes the rest of the story in the book of Ruth, chapters 3 and 4, and that is this kinsman redeemer. What's that? Well, you have to read Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 to 10. We don't have time this morning, and so that's your homework assignment. Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 to 10. A kinsman redeemer in Israel was a near relative, preferably the brother of the deceased husband of a woman in Israel who had no children. And what was the point of the provision of a kinsman redeemer? That that brother would step up to the plate and say, in order that my brother's name in order that my brother's place, in order that my brother's inheritance, in this case it would be Elimelech, and the family of Elimelech, including his widow Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth, that their name, place, inheritance among God's people would be perpetuated. I'll marry her, and with her have a son who will be the son of my deceased brother, my kinsman. Now, does that sound familiar? What does the author of Hebrews tell us about our kinsmen? Don't you know? The Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, become flesh, is not ashamed, says the author of Hebrews, to call you and me his brothers, his sisters. And you have no friend among your relatives, family, better than your kinsman redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, at great cost to himself, at great inestimable cost. The priceless blood that atones for your and my sins. He paid, that's what a redeemer does, he pays a price to obtain someone's freedom. And our Lord Jesus Christ is our brother who paid a great price, the price of his own life that he laid down in order that you could experience the blessing of being one of his brothers, sisters who belongs to his household. And guess what? You have a name. Did you know that? Not your given name, but it's the name that you've inherited by virtue of God's grace. In the book of Revelation, in the churches, the letters of Christ to the seven churches, there's even said at one point to those who remain steadfast in their profession, God will give them a white stone with a name known alone to Him and to you written upon it. What does that signify? You're precious to Him. The good shepherd knows each of his lambs, his sheep. He knows them exactly by name. And for them, he goes to the cross, 
that they might be with him and he with them, and that everything that is his might also be theirs, keeping back nothing. So rich, incorruptible is our inheritance, purchased by our kinsman redeemer. Let me just say, brothers and sisters, if you think about it, mull it over until the sun goes down tonight, if you can think of a better name than member of Christ, if you can think of a better place, if you can think of a grander inheritance, I don't care what side of town you live on, the biggest mansion on the northwest side is a shack and a shanty town compared to your inheritance and mine in Christ. All you have to do is read the book of Revelation. You even have it on your banner here. Pretty good place when there's no night. Perpetual daytime. God is the light dwelling in the midst of His people. So what we're going to find in the book of Ruth is the story of God's grace ultimately revealed in Jesus Christ, not Boaz, not Ruth, not Naomi, though they're mothers and fathers of our Lord according to the flesh, but in Christ and in the life of all those who are Christ. So that we say, I came to him empty, and he has filled my heart and hands, as he always does, in his steadfast love toward his own in Christ so that they're full. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the story of your grace in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, a great, great grandson of Ruth and Boaz. The story of the way in which you For all those who commit themselves to you and to your people, you give to them and obtain for them through the Lord Jesus Christ a name and a place, an inheritance that will never be defiled, that will never fade away in your kingdom. May we know this, may we rejoice in it, and may we also desire that others would, like Ruth, be gathered in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.